character in a parable that Jesus told. It was a parable of a lost coin, and the protagonist, the main character of that story, was a woman. And it was a surprise because in that culture, uh, women were devalued. They were looked down upon, considered second class, almost considered property. And we said last week that Jesus revealed the true value of women. And we talked about how we affirm that and affirm a biblical uh, value of women and men equal in God's eyes. And we said last week different roles and different um, strengths and gifts, but equal in God's eyes. Well, uh, building upon that idea, beginning today, we're going to start a four-week study in the book of Ruth. Ruth is one of two Bible books named after a woman. Does anybody know that other book? What's the other book that was named after a woman? What is it, Abby? Yes, excellent, Esther. And, uh, of course, in the Bible, there are many women named, many great women. And just like men, there's some other women in there, like Jezebel, who aren't so great, just like some not-so-great men. There are many great women in the Bible, but there's only two books named after women. And we're going to be in the book of Ruth for these next four weeks. Uh, Chapter 1 of Ruth is all about loyalty. Ruth gives a great demonstration of loyalty. And it got me thinking about um, people who are disloyal. And so I had some pictures of some disloyal people. Um, One of the most disloyal things you can do as a citizen of a country is burn your own country's flag. And I almost put up here, there's a YouTube clip of people trying to burn the American flag and they put gas on it, set it on fire. They end up sending, setting themselves on fire. You can look that up on, on YouTube. But that's a disloyal act. Or how about this? Sometimes there's relational disloyalty. Maybe you were in a, in a marriage relationship and your spouse was disloyal to you and that sort of brings up some old wounds. Or maybe even a dating relationship and you were cheated on, disloyal. That's part of reality of life. Um, Who's this guy? Anybody know who this is? What's this guy's name? What's his name? Stinky Pete. Who was he disloyal to? Woody and Buzz. He's disloyal. Anybody know this guy? He was in the movie The Passion of the Christ. What's his name? That's Judas. Who was he disloyal to? To Jesus. Do you remember this movie? What's this movie from? Anybody know? The ma- yeah, it's right there on the screen too. It's from the. What's this guy's name? Does anybody remember his name from the Matrix? Cipher, short for Lou Cipher, I think was the meaning behind naming the. Who was he disloyal to? Neo, but more importantly to. Morpheus, disloyal to Morpheus. What's this guy's name? Anakin, who was he disloyal to? Come on, Julio, you know it. Obi-Wan and all the Jedi. Final one. Final one. Who's this guy? (laughs) What's his name? It's not too soon. Kyrie, and he was disloyal to all of us. The Cavs fan base. So we're going to think about this whole idea of loyalty today, and we're going to begin reading, uh, and it's a lengthy story, chapter 1. There's 22 verses in it, so you'll just stick with me, 
And we're going to see in this story loyalty displayed by Ruth and a little bit by her mother-in-law. Her mother-in-law's name was Naomi. We're going to see her loyalty too. And as we're reading this and, and, and uh, looking into this, we want to see how we, as disciples of Christ, can be loyal to the same things that Ruth was, was loyal to. So let's jump into chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Now let's just orient ourselves. Here's the land of Judah. It was also called the Promised Land. Here's Bethlehem. What's Bethlehem famous for? Does anybody know? That's where Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So they were in Bethlehem, and during a famine, so there was food scarcity, poor weather, poor crops, they traveled to Moab. That's about a 70-mile journey to relocate to Moab. That 70-mile journey would have taken probably a week, about seven days to do if they packed up all that they had, kids, couple kids, and traveled about seven, seven, uh, 70 miles, seven days. Now let's look at a timeline here to sort of orient ourselves. So prior to 1445 B.C., there was slavery in Egypt. The Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. And around 1445 B.C., Moses led them out of Egypt. There's a famous movie, not a very accurate movie, about the Exodus leading them out of Egypt. He was with them for about 40 years, and around 1405 B.C., 1406 B.C., Moses died, and Joshua took over and led them into the Promised Land, into Judah, into Bethlehem, where we saw on the map. Well, around 1350 B.C., this is when uh, Joshua died, and then these judges, different leaders, different political and military leaders were raised up, to, to rule over the people, mostly to rescue the people, because it was during this time that the people of God started to stray from God, disobedient to God, started to follow some other gods. And sometimes they needed to be punished, sometimes they needed to be uh, rescued. And it was during this time of the judges, it says in, in, in uh, Judges chapter 25, or sorry, chapter 21, that people did what was right in their own eyes, rather doing what was right in God's eyes. And it was during this judge's period, we just read it, that Ruth took place, maybe around 1280 B.C., somewhere in there, either during Ehud or um, um, who's the guy who had 300 people drink? I'm blank. Gideon. It was during those time periods that Ruth and the book of Ruth took place. Now, you might ask the question, why do we have Saul on here? Because King Saul was around 1050, he became king. Because when, when Saul became king, that marked the end of the judges' period. And you might say, well, why is David on here? David's anointed king. Well, because the character, the main character of this story, Ruth, Ruth is actually King David's great-grandmother. And we'll see that in chapter 4 in three weeks. We wanted to make mention of him. So that's just a little bit of a context, a little bit of a history of what's going on there. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of the two sons were Mahlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. 
And they went to Moab and lived there. little word about Moab. Moab started when, um, if we go back in time to Abraham, Abraham had a nephew named Lot. Lot settled in a place called Sodom and Gomorrah. That place was destroyed by God, but Lot and his two daughters escaped. His two daughters got their father Lot drunk, intoxicated, had relations with him, and each of them birthed a child. One of his daughters birthed a child named Moab, and that's where the Moabites came from. Pretty kind of dark history and past. But we're going to see how God redeems dark histories and pasts. Verse 3, Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women. Now, if you know your Bible history back in Genesis 28.1, they were forbidden from marrying Canaanite women. So Naomi's two sons broke God's laws. But I just want to let you know, as we're going to see from this story today and the next three chapters, that God redeems our bad decisions. I'm not saying that to encourage you to go and make bad decisions because God's going to redeem them. We want to avoid bad decisions. Sin never ends well for us. Sin leads to a ripple effect in our life and other people's lives. But I just want you to know that if you have made stupid decisions like me, if you made bad decisions and sin, God can redeem those. Your life is not over. He does give second chances. Uh, you're, you're not derailed because of your, your past. You can turn around. You can repent. You can follow after Jesus and let him redeem your stupid mistakes. They married Moabite women. One was named Orpah, the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, the famine's over back in Judah, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, You girls, you go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have uh, shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them and wept aloud, and, said, and they said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who could, come, who could become your husbands? You see, the tradition and the law at that time was that these girls were bound, bound by law, to marry the sibling of their deceased husbands if they, didn't, if, they, if they had a sibling. Well, that was not going to happen because Naomi's too old at this point to have more kids. So what she does is she releases them of this obligation. You're young yet? Go get remarried somewhere else. Verse 12, Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. My life is hard. My life is miserable. Verse 14. At this, they wept again. 
And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth, Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped arguing. She stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the, woman, the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life bitter. The, the word Mara means bitter. Verse 21, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law. Arriving in Bethlehem, as the barley harvest was beginning. The barley harvest begins around the end of March, beginning of April, is when they return. And we'll pick up here next week. But first, let's look at this first chapter of Ruth, and it's all about loyalty. I see three different objects of Ruth's loyalty. Three things worthy of our loyalty as disciples of Jesus Christ. First of all, I see loyalty to family. After her husband died, and her brother-in-law died, and her father-in-law died, Ruth had the opportunity to stay in Moab and remarry. Along with that, she could also remain in a place that was familiar to her. It was home to her. The only place she'd ever known was, was Moab. But she chose loyalty to Naomi, loyalty to her new family. Verse 14 says Ruth clung to her. Naomi tried to make her stay, but she clung to Ruth. Verse 16, Ruth replied, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Where you stay, I'm going to stay. It's loyalty. And this was more than a cultural obligation because Naomi was released from that obligation. Remember, Naomi or um, Ruth was released from it. Naomi released her. What this was, is this was love. This was respect. This was kindness. This was devotion. This was loyalty to her family. Ruth put the needs of Naomi above her own needs. And isn't that sort of the definition of moms today? Don't moms often put the needs of their kids above themselves? She put Naomi's needs above her own comfort and her own Convenience. It would have been convenient for her just to stay in Moab. It's uncomfortable to do that 70-mile journey. It could be unsafe to do that 70-mile journey, just two women traveling together. She was going to an unknown land. She had never been there before. That's not convenient. That's not comfortable. She had an unknown future in Bethlehem. Here, think about this family. Elimelech died early. These two boys died early. What's to say that Naomi's not going to die early? What if she gets back to Bethlehem and then there's nobody there but her? She's an outsider. 
She's an enemy. She's from Moab. Her future could be reduced to begging if she goes. Her future, a real, a very realistic possibility, could have been reduced to prostitution had she gone. That was part of that culture. She was taking a very real risk by going there. She could be all alone soon. So she put the other needs and other uh, above her own comfortability and her own convenience. She already had established friendships back home in Moab. Now she's going to where there's no friends and knows nobody. She probably had a little bit at least of a position of status back home, and she's going back at the bottom rung of the status ladder. When uh, some of y'all, this is 15, 18 months ago when, when Freedom Bible Church started, and I think there was 18 of us in our basement of our house that were there that day, and some of y'all, you left what was comfortable you left what was convenient. You were probably you're already established in a church, had friends in that church, status in that church, a place of responsibility. But you said, you know, we're going to be loyal to uh, by 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 coming and starting and being a part of this church, leaving what's comfortable, leaving what's convenient. And Ruth was loyal, leaving what was comfortable, leaving what was convenient, loyal to her family. Think about your family relationships for a minute. Um, are they healthy? Relationships with your spouse, your kids, your parents, siblings. Are they healthy? Are, are they strained relationships? Maybe estranged relationships where you don't talk at all anymore? Do you have strong family ties with each other? Are you distant? Maybe geographically distant. You know it's possible to be geographically distant but relationally close. It's also possible to be geographically close but relationally distant. Have you ever been betrayed by a family member? Maybe abused, taken advantage of, manipulated by, wounded by a family member. Part of loyalty means trying to mend that brokenness. Maybe it means making amends because you caused the brokenness. If someone has caused that to you and done that to you, you're the victim of that. You're on the receiving end of that. Uh, it might be bearing with that person. Do you have family members where you have to bear with them in love? It's not always easy to be around them. But it, out of loyalty, we, 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 uh, we bear with them. Have you ever wounded or broken fellowship with one of your own kids? or stepkids, or kids-in-law? Are you humble enough to go and ask forgiveness and restore in the name of loyalty? If you're a child, if you've, have you ever dishonored your parents, disrespected your parents? Are you willing to be humble and go to them, seek forgiveness, and restore out of loyalty? Teenagers today, I'll talk to our teens, our young people. We've got a great group of young people in our church. Do you show more loyalty to your friends than you do to your own family? Do you show more loyalty to your phone than to your own family? Do you need to call up your child today and to talk? Do you need to call up a parent today and talk? Do you need to talk, call up a family member today 
and talk to them. You need to visit a family member out of loyalty. I want to put an asterisk next to this whole thing and say that um, some of yours, some of my family members may not be safe. Okay? Loyalty does not give them a blank check to treat you however they want to. Maybe they've betrayed you, betrayed your trust, abused you, and you can't trust them. I'm not saying trust them. That's what loyalty is. Uh, loyalty might mean staying away until they make it right and repent. But if I hold that grudge against them and bitterness grows up in me, that's when I get the problem. But loyalty means that I pray for that family member. And when they humble themselves and repent and come and seek that forgiveness, it's not open arms, but I give them one step of trust. Because some of that has to be earned back, does it not? When they repent and ask for forgiveness, um, not fully at first, but incrementally, I open up and let's see if it's really happening. That's what, that's what loyalty looks like. So Ruth was loyal. She was loyal to her family. She was also loyal to what we call the faith family. Elimelech and Naomi and their sons, they were Hebrews. Their faith family was the Hebrews. They were worshipers and people of the Lord God Almighty, the one true God, Yahweh. Now by proceeding to Bethlehem in Judah, Ruth was committing to and embracing the Hebrew faith family. She was living among them, living with them. She was becoming part of them, the Hebrew family of faith. Verse 6 says, Naomi and her daughters-in-law uh, prepared to return to where? To Judah, to the Hebrew faith people. She sat on the road. Um, she, uh, she sat out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah, the Hebrew people, the Hebrew family of faith. Uh, now this has obvious implications. As we're going to be disciples of Jesus. To grow as disciples, we've got to be with other disciples. We've got to spend time with other people. And maybe I've shown you this verse before. This is Jesus. In John 3.22, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent time with them. He was devoted to them. And this word, uh, spent time with them, is actually just one word in the Greek. It's two words combined together. It's the word dia tribo, and it means to, to rub through the skin. If you were to take sunblock and squirt it on your arm and then rub it in, that white long streak of goo would somehow disappear, and you couldn't see it anymore because it became part of your skin, became part of who you are. It rubs into your skin. As we spend time with Jesus, he rubs off on us. As we spend time with the faith family, with the church, with the body of Christ, we rub off on each other. We become disciples. We make disciples. And you may have heard this verse before in Hebrews. Let us consider how we may spur one another on. That means encourage each other to do what? For love and good deeds. We want to help each other to follow after Jesus and obey him. And you've heard this. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. You know, we want to come together and not just go to church, but be the church. And let us encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. Can you see the connection here between meeting together and encouragement? When we gather, when you're here, it encourages other people. Other people's faith grows. And when you're actively involved, be in the church, not just coming to church, it's even more encouraging 
when people do that. As I was working on this message and writing it on Friday, I was thinking about the, 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 the family part, being loyal to family. And I was thinking of my mom. Uh, my mom will turn 80 years old next March. Are we supposed to talk about women's age? She won't care. So I talk to my mom all the time, or not all the time, when thinking about my mom. She's been at the same church for the last 47 years, church I grew up in, Greenfield Baptist Church. She's been teaching Sunday school at Greenfield Baptist Church 47 years. Every Sunday morning, almost every Sunday morning, she's playing the organ. In fact, we want her to come visit us, spend time with her grandkids. I, I can't. i got to play the organ on Sunday. Playing the organ for 47 years. Now, all I need is a pickup truck and a key to that building, and I could take care of that organ. Problem solved. We should edit that from the from the recording. My mom, she's been doing VBS, Vacation Bible School, at that church 47 years. My, my dad passed away 17 years ago, and after he passed away, she's been going to Bible study, I think, every Wednesday night for the past 17 years. When I call her on the phone and talk to her, it's, it's about, just not to insult my mom, it's about 90% listening, 10% talking. And probably about 90% of what she talks about is people from the church. Joel, do you know so-and-so? They did this. I'm like, Mom, I haven't been there in 25 years. I'm not sure who that is. Well, then so-and-so did I don't know who that is either, Mom. I haven't been there in 25 years. No, so-and-so did that. Mom, I haven't been I don't know who that is. She's telling me all about the people of the church because she's loyal to her church. A couple weeks ago, ceiling tiles in my mom's house in one of the rooms, it's uh, 35 years old, the ceiling tiles are. They're starting to sag and drip, and a couple of them fell down. Now, we moved to this area to be closer to our parents, to help them with things like that. But to get over there two hours and to have an amateur do it might not be the best so they've got some people from her church who came over, spent a couple hours putting those ceiling tiles back up. She had some trees that needed to be come down, come down. And I can cut down some trees, but these were beyond my expertise. Between a couple of houses and people from her church who had the expertise came over and cut those trees down. Whenever there's a funeral, my mom's playing the organ for that funeral. After the funeral, they have a dinner. You know what the people do after the funeral dinner? They send food home with my mom. She's a widow. They're looking after her. You see, loyalty to the faith family, to the church, it helps build the church. It makes it healthy, makes it strong, makes it appealing. It's different than the world, but that loyalty comes back on us. The church family is loyal to us, like my mom. They're there for you. Loyalty to the church family. So, uh, Naomi, or let's go back here. Uh, We've seen loyalty to the family, loyalty to the church family, the faith family, and now we want to look at loyalty to the Father. Now in this picture, uh, you might remember this picture from February 12, 2015. This is a picture of some Egyptian Christians, and they're about to be executed. They're about to be beheaded by ISIS because of their loyalty to Christ. They could renounce Christ and live But they were loyal to Christ, loyal to the one true God, loyal to the Father, just like Ruth and Naomi. Naomi was in a dark place. She was depressed and dejected. 
She felt forgotten and forsaken by God. She felt abandoned and alone. She said this in verse 13, The Lord's hand has gone out against me. In verses 20 and 21, The Lord Almighty has made my life very bitter. The Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Naomi was in a very low place, yet she returned to Judah, to the promised land of God, to the land of the Father. And Ruth turned from the false gods of Moab to the one true God. Did you see what Ruth said? Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Her, her sister-in-law had turned, Orpah, she had turned back to her other gods. But Naomi turned to the one true God. So both Naomi and Ruth, they displayed loyalty to God, to the Father. Each of us, we're going to have affliction in our life, just like Naomi. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. You will go through pain and suffering. And probably everybody in this room could say, been there, done that, just like Naomi. Life will have disappointments, hardship, despair, gloom, heartache, suffering, maybe some depression. You're going to feel afflicted by God like he gives the misfortune. You will. You'll feel that way. How do we respond? Do we believe in our feelings or do we believe in the facts, the facts that God does love us. He does. Sometimes the, he corrects us and brings difficulty. Sometimes he prunes us and brings difficulty in order to make you more mature, to make you more godly, to make you more fruitful. Th- this growing maturity and godliness, it manifests itself in loyalty. I'm loyal to him no matter what, just like Naomi, no matter what. What we do is we persevere through the difficult times. We endure the hardship and affliction. We remain loyal to the Father, loyal to Christ, despite the misfortune. What does that look like? How do we remain loyal to Him? It's, it's picking up His Word every day and looking to Him. I'm loyal to you. It's when I read His Word and He tells me what to do, I obey it. I'm loyal to Him. I follow after Christ. I'm devoted to Christ. I endure and persevere through the difficult and dark times. These 21 Egyptian Christian martyrs displayed their maturity. They displayed their depth of faith by their loyalty to Christ. How could they do that? What fueled them? What drove them to this level of loyalty? I see it in 2 Corinthians 5.15 where it says, Christ died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. We live for Christ. He died for us, so we live for him. We live in loyalty to him, loyalty to the Father, because Jesus Christ died in loyalty to the Father. His death was in obedience and loyalty to the Father for us. So our loyalty to him is in response to his love and faithfulness to us and loyalty to the Father. Uh, Let's just put a nail in this today by looking in this one final scripture. And this was written by Ruth's great-great-grandson. And I wonder as I read this, because he's describing her. 
I wonder if he knew the story of his great-great-grandmother and wrote this proverb about her. Verse 3 in Proverbs 3 says, Never let loyalty and kindness get away from you. Wear them like a necklace. Write them deep within your heart. Then you will find favor with both God and people, and you will gain a good reputation. You see, he's describing Ruth. She had loyalty and kindness that was on display. And as we get to chapters 2, 3, and 4 in Ruth, we're going to see that she gained favor from both God and people. And she gained a great reputation. I wonder if her great-great-grandson wrote this about her. Because this is all true. How many of us want to have favor with God? Right on. How many of us want to have favor with other people and a good reputation? Right on. How do we get that? Loyalty and kindness is where that comes from. Are you loyal to your family? Are you loyal to the church, your faith family? Are you loyal to the Father, to Christ? You'll find favor with God and people. You'll earn a good reputation like Ruth. I don't know that we'll ever get a Bible book named after us, but she earned a good reputation to have a book named after her. We'll see some of that good reputation. We'll see more of that next week when we look at chapter 2. Chapter 2 is all about righteousness. We're going to close out today by singing that last song we sang. So Brian's going to come on up. We're going to sing that together as we close out this morning. We'll stand together for this.